This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Once defined by the red envelopes used to deliver DVDs for its mail order service, Netflix has turned its focus toward allowing subscribers to stream movies and other programming directly to their computers and television sets. The move has reaped rewards, including an increasing customer base, but created friction with the entertainment and technology companies Netflix competes with and, in many cases, relies on for gaining access to content. Wharton marketing professors Peter Fader and Raghuram Iyengar and operations and information management professor Karte Kozanagar recently sat down to talk with Knowledge at Wharton about what the future may hold for Netflix. We're here with Wharton professors Kartik Asanagar, Raghu Ayengar, and Peter Fader to talk a little bit about the evolving business model of Netflix. So um, the first question I'd like to talk about is, as Netflix expands from a mail-order DVD rental service to online streaming, I'd like that you guys talk a little bit about what are the potential positives and negatives for the company. Um, Peter, why don't you start? I think it's a move that Netflix has been preparing for for a long, long time. Uh, even though they started with, with mail order, their name is Netflix. So uh, they've been thinking about it. They've been developing the infrastructure. Uh, they, their brand isn't necessarily tied to any one channel of distribution. So they're in a, in a really good position. Uh, it, it shows by their current performance. I don't see anything on the horizon that suggests it's going to be any different, uh, whether they'll grow to, to, to dominate the sector or some people are starting to, to, to fear. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I think it's a really good outlook for them. And would either of you like to add anything? Um. Yeah, so I, I think it's a huge opportunity for Netflix. Uh, Netflix spends, I think it's somewhere close to half a billion dollars on uh, the actual physical uh, distribution business, which is you know the postage and the mailing the DVDs out and so on. So just getting rid of that, um, you know, over time with more and more of the distribution happening online, just changes the cost structure for Netflix dramatically. And it allows them to offer the service at a price point, uh, which would be more attractive to consumers. So I think this would also allow Netflix to grow because, you know, the lower cost structure results in lower prices and in turn brings in new customers. So I think it's a, there's a lot of positives. If I were to s- sort of pick one negative, I think there is the potential for cannibalizing um, Netflix's high-end service. So... Um, I can imagine why uh, some of the subscribers to Netflix's premium service might actually shift to the uh, online only or the streaming service, and that might cannibalize some revenues. But um, I'd say all in all, I see more positives for Netflix on this. Great. Thanks, Kartik. Um, Raghu, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I agree with uh, both Pete and Kartik. I think there are positives right now, but I think there are also some challenges that have come about. I think particularly if you start looking at the portfolio that they have, portfolio of options that they have for streaming versus the DVD, I think currently they have lots of uh, DVD rental and the inventory itself is huge because they have lots of alliances with different studios. I think they have to start rethinking about what kind of agreements they will come to. For example, they've been spending a lot more money getting the streaming content, but they still have a long way to go. So if you look at the inventory that they have streaming, it's much older movies and much older things. So I think that's something that they have to uh, you know, clearly think about. And actually, that kind of brings me to some of my other questions. Um, how does the emergence of Netflix, particularly into going into the streaming model, how does that impact other content, content distribution models, particularly sales of DVDs and cable television? Um, Kartik, why don't you start? Sure. Um, 
you know, I, I think it's not clear, to be honest, uh, from my perspective. I think uh, a lot of the content deals uh, still need to be negotiated as Netflix moves from the DVD model to the streaming model. The way it structures these deals with the content owners, it's not yet very clear. Um, and it really depends on what Netflix is willing to offer for the content and how early it's able to get the content. So to the extent that it's, um, you know, Netflix's big plan works out, that it's able to get the content early and at the right, right price point, there's no doubt that this will uh, hurt DVD sales. Um, but I would say that the uh, content owners have several reasons to be wary about um, this service um, because of the the likelihood that it could cannibalize other revenue streams for them. So I, I think the uh, the jury is not yet out on, on this. And it really, in my opinion, would depend on uh, the kinds of deals that Netflix can sign with the content owners. I would say that uh, the, the fate for the content uh, owners and creators is in their own hands. And to the extent they just continue to produce basically commoditized content that can work equally well on any of these distribution platforms, then they're doomed. But if they can come up with ways of, of adding value to make it a different experience for someone to stream versus getting kind of the, the, the blooper version only if you're a registered member on the website and giving people reasons to buy the box DVD set that's going to have extra value in it, uh, I think that there's an incredible opportunity to be using each one of these platforms to uh, to promote uh, uh, the content uh, consumption and purchase through these other platforms. There aren't a lot of good indications yet that they have the business savvy to do that. There's a few happy stories here and there, but there's an equal number of bad stories where they're just basically creating cannibalization instead of avoiding it. Yeah, no, I think um, there is a lot of tension right now, the way I see it. I mean, I think the way I kind of see it, Netflix is in the middle of lots of different kinds of industries. One is, of course, the content industry that we talked about. The other is, in some sense, the cable industry, Comcast being, you know, the leaders in there. And the third one, in fact, is some of the work that Karthik has done is in the content delivery network industry. I mean, so I think Netflix, by being uh, part of all of these different industries, and especially moving towards the streaming uh, sort of setup, I think is making ripples in across all three industries. So, you know, if you think about some of the deals that Netflix has recently done, for example, the deals that it did with Star Z, for example, uh, Disney is now putting pressure on Star Z such that it'll charge more, which in turn is thinking, rethinking about the its own agreements with Netflix. And it, Netflix is apparently ch- uh, going to, uh, trying to get uh, TV new TV episodes for almost $100,000 per episode. So I think all of these things are completely changing the way sometimes these content developers have to think about how to add value in their own ways of getting to the consumer as opposed to getting through Netflix. Now, if I may react to what Pete and uh, Raghu said, uh, I, I completely agree with you guys that uh, there is a big opportunity here and one needs to look at the full value chain and all these other companies in there and there are opportunities for the content owners to uh, package the content differently for different media. But I think the other issue is that there's all these players um, that have over several decades established their position in this industry, and they are these incumbents. And history doesn't suggest that uh, these companies are particularly innovative and willing to change their business models overnight. And so I think that many of them, the Comcasts of the world and the Time Warners, will try to hold on to the old models. And I think that's why... Um, uh, I said it's not clear, but I agree with you that uh, if they sort of see that the future really is in this, that the future really is about interactive media and, and, and 
video on demand and, and so on, that they could perhaps uh, make significant strides in that if they approach it that way. And I uh, just would respond by saying uh, it's true that they have uh, more to lose, that is, the, the, the well-established players, but they've been a little bit more progressive than their counterparts in, say, music. the music industry. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, initiatives like Hulu and TV Everywhere. There's a lot of different kinds of experiments going on. And, and, and in many ways, it's just different business models around the existing, let's say, old-fashioned content but at least they're thinking about it. At least they're trying it. And, and the winners will be based on who has the best business models as opposed to who has the best lawyers. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them credit over the music companies mm-hmm. any day. Yeah. And actually, that kind of brings me to one of my other questions. And we've seen sort of one example of how maybe the traditional content distributors are responding with the whole Netflix Comcast battle of recent weeks in which Comcast has been demanding that a company that's sort of acting as a middleman – that they pay these exorbitant fees to deliver Netflix content to Comcast subscribers. And I guess my question would be is, what do you make of that as kind of one way? I mean, is that the right way that these cable companies should be reacting? And if not, what would be more sort of a more productive way to deal with this? And, Reggie, why don't you start? Sure. I mean, I think if you look at some of the numbers, um, so Netflix apparently accounts for 20%, Netflix streaming accounts for about 20% of Internet traffic from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. at night. So this is like a huge chunk of data that's being transferred. So it's not immediately clear, actually. Um, you know, I think as uh, you know, taking one of the quotes that Karthik said, jury is still out whether Comcast versus Level Three, which is the intermediary, whether Comcast is in fact acting according to the the agreements that they had, or do they really have to rethink the agreement? For example, on either sides, Comcast basically suggests that Level Three, in some sense, should pay because the earlier intermediary, which was Akamai, they were paying a reasonable amount of money to Comcast. Whereas Level 3 is countering that there is this uh, peering agreement which they have, which is the amount of data that's transferred to Comcast. You know, Comcast also transfers data to Level 3. So it's not immediately clear. One thing which is immediately clear is that they should resolve this agreement really soon because, you know, the, the end consumers are the ones who would be hurt because this in turn has a ripple effect on what Netflix prices how Netflix would change its prices if there is some disagreement there. Yeah, um, I, I think that the... Level 3 Comcast issue is a particularly complicated one because Level 3 has this dual role as a backbone provider and as a content delivery network. Um, And on the one hand, Level 3 is justified in saying that Comcast is asking for more money because uh, Level 3 carries Netflix traffic and this is anti-competitive. But on the other hand, um, it's fairly standard that in peering arrangements, if you are exchanging equal amount of traffic in both directions, there is there are no payments. But if it is disproportionately in one direction, then uh, payments are indeed made. And um, so that's not unusual. And Comcast's response is that we are not charging specifically for the Netflix traffic, and therefore this is not violation of net neutrality. We're just saying you're you know, there's disparity in the traffic going in different directions, and, and we're asking money for that. Um, so I think uh, as far as the the legal side of it goes, uh, it's uh, somewhat complicated because of Level 3's uh, dual role. Um, but, you know, I, I guess setting the legal side uh, aside, uh, I personally feel like uh, this, you know, independent of what Comcast says, this ultimately is all about Netflix and about the fact that Netflix um, poses a threat to Comcast's video-on-demand initiatives. Mm-hmm. Peter, do you have anything to add? Uh, well, it, this is just one of many ways that Comcast is going to get itself in trouble 
<clears throat> their sheer size, the number of different businesses they're in. Talk about cannibalization. <clears throat> they're a company that's going to be cannibalizing itself in so many different ways. Uh, it's And it's not clear that they've thought through all of these potential conflicts. So we're going to be seeing these kinds of issues coming up time and time again. This time it involves Netflix. It's going to involve many other entities. Uh, and it's going to be very important for Comcast to have a, a coherent strategy to deal with all these things before they uh, start flashing up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you actually, you mentioned Netflix's price structure. And I know there's been a lot of questions about, like, how long can Netflix kind of this sustain, you know, all-you-can-eat kind of model for pricing. I mean, can you, I, can, what, can you guys talk a little bit about, I mean, how sustainable is that, that pricing model in terms of, first of all, to those who provide Netflix with content and then also to those who receive the content, i.e. the subscribers? Um, Peter, why don't you go ahead? I'd start. love mm-hmm. to celebrate what Netflix has done on the pricing side. And many people refer to it as the Netflix pricing model. The fact that they own it, uh, it's so singularly associated with their brand, is a great credit to them for going against the grain uh, 10 years ago and, and staying with it. Uh, another big part of that is that they're constantly changing their prices, sometimes up, sometimes down. People don't seem to notice. People don't seem to care. They're into the content. They're into the, the, the wonderful delivery mechanism, just the association with the brand. People like to be seen with the red envelope. Uh, so in many ways, they've downplayed the role of price per se. That's what every company aspires to do. So it doesn't matter about price. It matters about just having uh, the, the value and the association. So I don't think price matters that much. I think they have a great deal of flexibility to get away with things. And, um, do you have anything to add? I know you've done some research into this. No, actually, um, I think uh, for me, I have a little bit more of a skeptical attitude uh, towards the, the pricing itself. For example, if you think about, um, and you know, I've done some calculations, if you think about uh, how much Netflix is uh, typically charged, for royalty, I mean, in as opposed to just uh, you know sending the mail, it's about forty cents a movie, roundabout. If you take that uh, that number and now put take in the streaming costs, which is about five to six cents per movie, like a one gig transfer, so about you know you're thinking about fifty cents per movie. And now if you have an eight dollar plan, so anybody who goes above sixteen movies a month is already a non profitable customer. So I think uh, I'm not exactly sure how long they can sustain all you can eat plans. I mean, my prediction is I think you will end up seeing plans which may be sort of um, in differentiated in terms of the quality of movies that you're seeing, for example, you know, digital versus, you know, standard format, or it could also be in terms of what kind of inventory you have access to. So, for example, some people might have access to newer movies versus older ones and so on. Great. Um, and Kurt, I guess we'll turn to you for some final thoughts on that. Sure. Um, so when I look at Netflix's uh, pricing strategy, um, there's, I guess, um, two or three different aspects uh, uh, to note, uh, at least from my perspective. Uh, the first one is the kinds of content that we uh, that Netflix makes available. Uh, and as Raghu was mentioning, there's the royalty that Netflix pays. And the question is, what kind of content would you have access to um, and if Netflix expands its library, goes more aggressive in acquiring content early um, and, uh, you know, getting movies um, uh, soon after they're out of the theater and so on. So the question is, if the um, library that Netflix has changes, then the royalty structure uh, and the cost structure also changes. And then the question is whether Netflix can give you access to everything uh, at seven ninety nine, or is Netflix giving you access to some portion of its library at seven ninety nine, and then there's some others that is not. So I think one aspect is what is the content library that is made available, and and today's content library um, 
might be very different from the content library they would like to have, say, five years from now. Uh, the other thing is that um, the uh, you know lowering of the price, I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I think it brings in a whole new set of customers to Netflix. So I think uh, I'd expect Netflix's uh, customer base to grow uh, quite dramatically with this uh, uh, lower price point. Um, yeah, so I think those are the you know the the content they have and and the opportunity to go after a new customers. I think are, are two very important issues. Great. Um, well, thank you all very much for your participation. It was great. Thank you. Well, thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.